Good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be with you as we continue our series, Body of Work. Over these past weeks, we've been thinking about how God gifts his church. We've looked at gifts that we might think are especially elevated, like prophecy and, and those with those supernatural manifestations of the Spirit. We, we've thought about gifts like teaching. We've thought about gifts like giving. Here's what we've seen for the most part, though. There are certain gifts that may be designated to certain people. But as we look at the spirit behind them, God's spirit, and then what he calls us to exemplify as he's working in our lives, that all of us are called to show a part of what he's called certain people specifically to. Yes, some people might be called to be teachers, but all of us are called to teach the gospel. Yes, some people might have a special gift of constantly giving of themselves, of, of being cheerful givers, of being generous beyond all, all imagination, yet all of us are called to be giving, to, to be like God in that way. Now, we're going to come to a gift here that we often set apart as, well, this is a gift for certain people, and that's the gift of leadership. But just as we saw in those other gifts, this is a gift for all of us. Yes, there will be some people who are, are gifted in a certain way, and they will become leaders in the church, and we're going to talk about that tonight. But all of us are called to, to model what godly leadership looks like in the world. We live in a world that that wrestles with leadership, that wrestles to find good leaders. I was reminded of that just this past Friday. There was a big breaking news bulletin because our Department of Justice appointed a special counsel to investigate the son of President Biden. Now, we're used to occasionally there being political scandals or, or accusations thereof and then investigations, but perhaps the most notable thing at the moment is that both the current administration and the previous administration of President Trump have a special counsel appointed investigating them at the moment. Our corruption is so present in government that whomever it is that we wanted to vote for, whomever we wish was in the White House, whether it's the person who is now or the, the previous occupant, what we find is that there are so many accusations of corruption that both of the previous two administrations are being investigated right now simultaneously for that. What does that tell us that maybe all of us can agree on no matter how it is that we vote? I think we can agree that our politicians aren't necessarily living up to being pillars of integrity. And yes, we may be able to come up with excuses for our guy and not for the other guy, but what we can see clearly is that we have a problem of leadership. And not just at the highest echelon. We have it in, in thought leaders, we have it in celebrity type leaders, we have it in local leaders, and we certainly have it in church leaders. And too often when we're trying to figure this out, what do we do? We look to those secular leaders, the ones that are being investigated right now, and we look for church leaders that look like them. What we need to do instead is turn to scripture and say we want leaders like God wants. And we want to be leaders like the ones that God wants. So let's come before our God and ask that he would help us to be those sorts of leaders and to seek those sorts of leaders. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we struggle. We live in a fallen world and 
We have fallen leaders. We're reminded time and time again of how our leaders fall short. And to the extent that we peer into our own hearts at the times that we have opportunities to lead, what do we see? We see that we fall short too. Lord, would you help us to, to seek leaders that model your grace and your love and your integrity? Would you help us to, to be more like Jesus and to want to see those who lead your church look more like Jesus? We pray in, in his precious name, in the Savior's name, in the one whom it is that we want to follow his name. Amen. So where do we look for leadership examples? Well, we should turn to God's word for that. And as we go through the, this list of spiritual gifts, the next gift that Paul mentions is that those who have a gift of leadership, they should lead with zeal. And that word zeal there is our clue word. What does biblical leadership look like? It looks different than worldly leadership because zeal for the things of God transforms how we view everything. We turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, and that's where we're going to camp out tonight. As we turn to 1 Peter 5, and Peter instructs the church on how to appoint leaders and, and what those leaders should look like, what's he saying here? We should appoint zealous leaders. And Peter identifies three different errors that show up in worldly leadership, whether it's in the church or outside the church, and how we need to seek something better we need to counteract that first error by finding leaders who are zealous to serve the flock. Wherever it might be that that leader is appointed to serve, in the church, outside the church, informally, formally, whatever it might be, the people whom it is that that person leads, the people that we lead, should love the flock. 1 Peter 5 verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Peter has a ton packed in there. But right from the gate, he is helping us to think that a leader isn't someone who is self-serving. A leader isn't someone who is in it for himself or herself. A leader is in it because God has called that person to be in it and is in it for the sake of the people being served. Christian leadership isn't about having an important title of being important. Christian leadership is about serving the people of God whom God has called important. The import is in the blood-bought lambs of Christ, not in ourselves. So how do we understand what leadership should look like? Well, we start by looking for people who care about other people, people who love other people, people who aren't eager to see themselves built up, but are constantly building up other people. Maybe as sort of a basement below the ground level, what we should start looking for is people who don't mock other people. Do we all sometimes fall into mockery? Do we sometimes get a little too sarcastic about people around us? Probably most of us do. But may it not be where our heart is. May it not be what we want our heart to exemplify. May it pain us when we realize we do it. And certainly may we not select as leaders those who do it as a regular practice. I've seen this in the church. I've seen this in ministry where leaders behind the scenes would say things that would scare anyone in the church out of that church because they clearly are busy building themselves up 
by tearing other people down, by mocking other people, by saying terribly insulting things about other people. That is not the way of God. That is not the way that Jesus wants us to go. And it can't be if we are truly going to shepherd, which is the instruction that Peter says here, because a shepherd cares about his flock. A shepherd loves his flock. Certainly the great shepherd does. And you don't love people by tearing them down, whether it's in their own earshot or out of their earshot. We should constantly be building people up. doesn't mean that we don't bring hard truths to people at times, but too often it's not about bringing hard truths to people. It's about making ourselves feel important and making other people clearly less important than we are. Sometimes it comes out because we start to resent other people. We resent that we have to serve them. We resent that they don't appreciate us enough as we serve them. If you serve in the church, you will feel this at some point because there will be times that you work really hard and no one notices. Or maybe even the opposite. They notice and they don't like what you've done. And we think, well, these people, these unappreciative people, these ungrateful people, we need to stop ourselves and think, how am I towards God? What has he done for me? And how often am I ungrateful of what God has done? And if I'm ungrateful of what God has done, how do I expect other people to get it right with me? John Wesley said that leading a church is a gift from God. And if we see it in that light, it changes how we want to approach other people. Because if we see the fact that we get to work with people, even when they're not always the nicest, even when they're not always the most appreciative, but we see that God has entrusted us to these people whom he loves. We have to say, well, how can I actually love them like God loves them? How can I actually build them up like God is building all of us up, including me? I'm not worthy. Maybe they're not worthy, but I'm not worthy either. And how can I have a different heart? Now, we don't go to the other extreme, though. Sometimes people say, well, okay, you know, on the one hand, I can be a successful leader, the world says, by by tearing other people down, insulting them, making unkind remarks about them, sometimes backstabbing them when they can't hear. That can work. Okay, if I'm not going to do that, maybe I'll go the other way. I, I will always say what people want to hear. I will always build them up by saying they're doing good and they're doing right, even when I know they're not. And that's not the way of God either. Jesus doesn't do that. That's not true love. That's not really caring for the flock. It's not caring for the flock if you're a literal shepherd and, and you you say, sheep, if you want to go hang out with the wolves, that's great. No, no. If God places us in a position of influence, whether formal or again informal, because each and every one of us, people are going to be looking to us and how we live as followers of Christ. So everyone listening tonight is leading to some extent, even if you don't have a title like Peter's referring to elders here. Are we calling people on the one hand to see that they're important and they're loved, and on the other hand, that they're so important and so loved that they need to know God's truth, that it actually matters what they do? Because there we, we come to the two different errors we fall into as we try to be worldly-type leaders. On the one hand, serving grudgingly and resentfully and, and mockingly towards people because we we just need them to appreciate us and we're looking for them to approve of us and they're not doing it enough. And on the other hand, seeking that approval by just going willy-nilly through life as an example, as a leader. Both of those, if you think about it, are self-centered errors because it's all about how people see us and getting ourselves built up. 
the true path to leadership is to genuinely love the people. And that means oftentimes they aren't going to appreciate us. Oftentimes they're not going to be nice to us. And yet, even when they are unkind, even when they're unappreciative, that we look at them and we see someone that God has loved, someone that Jesus died on the cross for. And we say, God, I'm not feeling it at the moment. I want to say unkind things. I want to think unkind things. But God, help me to have your heart instead. And when we do that, we're asking God to pull us towards that zeal of true Christian leadership. And when we see other people who have that heart, maybe they don't get everything right, but they sure want to. Maybe sometimes they are unkind. Maybe occasionally they're a little rude, but it pains them when they realize it. When I hear an example of, of a Christian leader who will go out of his way or her way to apologize for doing something wrong, for being unkind, I heard an example of that a few weeks ago, and I, and I just, it was of, of a, this incredibly accomplished Christian pastor, and it struck me because that is Christian leadership. That's what it looks like. We don't get everything right, but we know what God wants, and it pains us when we fall short of it. So we move away from self-centeredness. And that's where Peter is going to keep going in the second era, because so often part of that self-centeredness is asking the question, what's in it for me? How's it going to, to make me better off in this world? And we see that zealous leadership sees the real reward, what we're really looking and striving towards. That's what we see in verse 4. Notice what Peter says. He says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Sounds great. In theory, it's much harder in practice because an unfading crown of glory, wonderful. Everything fades. Now Jesus is going to give me something that doesn't fade. But notice that's when he returns. That's an eternity. Yes, we come into God's presence and we experience his glory and we experience his love fully. But the question that our sinful, broken selves come to time and again right now is, but what about right now? What about this day? What about this week? Are people going to appreciate me this week? Are people going to make sure that I receive what I ought for what I do this day, this week? We talked last week about how oftentimes in the opposite of having a giving spirit, people are thinking quid pro quo. Who will give something to me if I give something to them? And oftentimes that's how ministry gets distorted because it becomes the point to get rich or at least to, to be accomplished or powerful. But these aren't the things that we're looking to. We're not striving towards those. We're striving towards being in God's presence. Hearing him say, well done, good and faithful servant, because we've been seeking after his heart. That's what we want. But then we go right back and say, oh, what about right now? Well, Peter at times was one of those what about right now kind of people too. Listen again to verse 1. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Before Peter gets into anything, in just this preface to his list of points, notice what he does here. He does two things that are really, really important. First, he says, to my fellow elders. I'm writing to you as a fellow elder. Peter's an apostle. Peter is one of the twelve. Peter isn't just one of the twelve. He's one of the three inside the twelve. Peter is important. Peter was selected by the God of the universe to be one of his closest friends. Peter doesn't need to make himself a fellow elder. 
Peter could look at them and say, you underlings, you people who are, are you didn't even know Jesus personally. You're, you're second generation. Jesus could have come anytime he chose to be with me, not you. Now listen to me. I'm important. I'm an apostle and you need to hear what I have to say. But what does Peter say? He says, I'm just a shepherd like you. I'm just an elder like you. I've been called to lead God's flock. You've been called to lead God's flock. We're both in the same boat. And Peter doesn't just stop there. Sometimes if we kind of get ourselves to, to, to take a step towards humility, we do a little self-effacing humor or something. We, we make that step and then we know, but I'm not going any further. I'm certainly not going to do anything that makes you think I'm less than you. I might try to sound like, oh yeah, I'm just, I'm just right there with you. But then we start to build ourselves back up. Peter does the opposite. Because notice what Peter says here. He says, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, yes, but before that, a witness to the sufferings of Christ. Well, we know everyone who believes in Jesus is a partaker of the glory to be revealed. But being a witness, well, that sounds pretty impressive, doesn't it? Yes, we're, is Peter reminding us now, oh yeah, I'm an apostle. Yeah, I'm a fellow elder, but by the way, Jesus really thought I was kind of special. No, notice where Peter goes to. He doesn't say a witness of the resurrection of Jesus, even though he affirms that elsewhere, even though everyone knows that Peter saw the risen Jesus. What does he say? I, I, I read a commentary that, that latched onto this, and I thought, this is just amazing what's going on here. If you really think about what Peter has to say, he says, a witness to Christ's sufferings. Now, what do we know about Peter? And what did the church know about Peter? Peter was the famous inner circle of Jesus person who, as soon as the going got tough, what did he do? He denied Jesus. And he didn't just deny Jesus once, he denied Jesus three times. And he denied Jesus no matter the station of the person asking him. He didn't want anyone to know that he was with that person who was incidentally suffering at that moment. And so when Peter chooses to rewind to that moment in Jesus's life, not a witness past that, not saying, you know, when Jesus and I were walking along the shore and he told me that I should take care of his church, no, he wants people to go to that lowest of low moments in his life, that moment where he showed that he was a fool, that moment where he showed his full sinfulness, that moment where everything he promised to do for Jesus, every way he said, Jesus, I'm just your, I am there for you. Yeah, the others are, yeah, they're, they're yeah, they're pretty human, but you know, I might as well be just like you. I mean, I, I'm going to defend you to the death. Don't worry, Jesus. And then he couldn't even stand it for a moment. He goes to that moment, that moment of just utter failure. He says, I was a witness there. I was right there. And now I'm right here with you. Peter isn't building himself up. He's not using this to elevate himself, to use his office as apostle to make himself feel good. He's using it to build up those around him and thereby be an example of what we're called to be as Christian leaders. Blum, in his commentary on this passage, has this wonderful understatement. He says, even in church life, some people are tempted to enjoy the office rather than use it as an avenue for service. Talk about an understatement, because we see it over and over again. We saw it in history. We see it going all the way back to the early church, and we see it today. How many people end up choosing to go into ministry because they think it's going to somehow make them important. Or maybe that's not why they choose to go into it, but that's why they stay in it. Or that's why they choose to be in the places that they do. 
because our sinful human compulsion is, I need to be important. I need to be favored. What's in it for me? How am I going to make this work for me? Whether it's literal kickbacks, monetary sorts of gain, like we see in earthly leaders, and too often those leading on earth in the church, or if it's more the intellectual and emotional gain of people looking up to us, may that not be the kind of leader that we are. We talked about last week giving without benefit. That's exactly what leaders are called to be and to do. So often ancient teachers, just like the teachers today, would fashion their message that people would favor them. So they'd give large sums of money so that they would admire them. But that's not what Jesus did, and it's not what he called us to do. It's notable, I believe, that Paul in his list of spiritual gifts that we've been going through speaks next about mercy and previously spoke about giving, and he sandwiches leadership between these two. Because being someone who is constantly willing to give of himself or herself, being someone who is merciful, even when it doesn't seem like people deserve mercy, that is what Christian leadership looks like. That's what we're called to be, again, whether we're formal official leaders or we're just leading by example in our life as, lives as, as co-workers and friends and neighbors and family members look at us. And yet, too often instead, we just keep building up ourselves. We fall back into it. We say, I want to be humble. But then we go right back into pride. I was reading the other day a, a study on an important question, which is, do male actors have their heads grow over time? And not... not Metaphorically here, literally physically, someone noticed that if you look at photos of celebrities, you certainly have a lot of pictures of them, look at actors in Hollywood, oftentimes as they age, they appear to have larger heads. For example, one of the sets of pictures in the article was of Leonardo DiCaprio and, and how when he's younger, his head actually looks smaller than it does today. Someone looked at that question and said, you know, we should study this. And so they, they did CAT scans of people's heads and, and watched to see if people's heads grow over time. And they found, in fact, that the human head, certain parts of it do continue to expand over time as we age. Particularly the forehead moves forward and it makes our head appear bigger. The reason people notice that with Hollywood male actors in particular is their hairline often is also receding and it even further emphasizes their, their enlarged heads. And maybe we look at that and say, well, it's fitting because they have really big heads, right? If you're important for decades and people have been taking pictures of you and admiring you for decades, you're going to have a very large ego as well all too often. Well, we might not have people constantly taking pictures of us and, and admiring us and have paparazzi chasing us, but the truth is all of us over time are not only our physical heads enlarging, so too are our mental heads, our spiritual heads, our, our, our egos. And we might say, well, no, I, I was super arrogant when I was younger, but now, you know, I'm not like those young whippersnappers today that are so arrogant. Do you notice what we just did if we say something like that? And it's so easy to fall into that thinking, well, I'm humble now, not like those arrogant people before. And we're building ourselves up even as we're allegedly learning life lessons and being more humble. We all fall in to that terrible problem of our spiritual heads enlarging and enlarging and enlarging. It's a, it's a problem that we see throughout the pages of Scripture. And it's a problem that we encounter in our own hearts. So what does a, a Christian leader look like? What does someone who's going to, to lead God's people look like? Someone who comes to God and, and says, 
God, I, I know my physical head's getting bigger as I'm older. And I know that that spiritual head is getting bigger too. And, and it may be that I, my head is going to be bigger physically over time, but I know through your Holy Spirit, you can make that spiritual head of mine smaller. Would you do that, please? That person who realizes that he or she has been elevating and elevating and elevating and says, God, this, is gonna, this may not be fun, but God, would you help me instead to have the sort of humility that, that you model? And that's a key word there. And it's the third lesson. Too often leaders, because they're in it for themselves, because we're in it for ourselves, forget that what we're called to be is models. That we present Jesus to the world. And zealous leadership models it doesn't demand. It's not in it for ourselves, but it's in it to help other people understand what Jesus looks like. Verse 3, Peter says that uh, uh, an elder is someone who is not domineering over those in your charge. What's that person like? It's someone who is being examples to the flock. Being a, an example. Being a type. Being someone who who lets people get a glimpse of what Jesus looks like. Not because we have everything together, but because we are constantly striving to be more like the one who does. There's the irony of titles. There's the irony in so much of how we lead, because we lead by slapping a title on ourselves or on somebody and saying, now look up to me. Listen to me because I'm important. I'm an elder. I'm a pastor. I'm a bishop. I'm I'm the president of the company. I'm I'm the chairman of the board. I am this. I am that. The way we really lead is we look more and more like Jesus and we let people see that in our lives and we let them absorb that, not by demanding it, not by forcing it, but by doing it. It's interesting, too, that at times we try to come up with different tiers of titles. For example, elder and pastor and bishop. It's not necessarily completely obvious in the English here, but Peter is essentially leveling everything here in as much as he chooses as he addresses fellow elders. He then goes on and says what? He says, you should go pasture. That, that word that says shepherd, that, that could be also translated, go pasture people. It's the title of pastor. And then he says, exercising oversight. That could be exercising the office of bishop. In other words, there really aren't all these different tiers where we can build up Christian leaders with more and more important titles. The title, if you're called to serve formally in the church of elder, the, in other words, the title of someone who's just appointed as a servant to Christ serving the church. If you're appointed there, we don't need to seek after additional titles, and you should have sought after that title. Why? Because of everything we've already been talking about. We look for people not looking for titles, because all these titles we toss around are really acts of leadership, different aspects of being a leader. Rather, what do we do? What do we do? We do the work zealously. We, we love people. We shepherd them. We offer oversight by calling them to the truth. We do all this stuff. Not so people think that we're important. We don't seek to defeat it and, and make ourselves more important. I get nervous when people start tossing around all their church titles and want people to call them by them. Not because there isn't something to being called to serve in a church. Not that there aren't offices. Not that God hasn't called people to be pastors and elders and, and so on, deacons. But because we shouldn't think of ourselves as being important. 
my import is not on what title I can put in front of my name or goes under my name on the on-screen broadcast. My import is that Jesus loves me and your import is that Jesus loves you. And wherever we're serving, whether it's in a formal church office or we're, we're serving just by showing up every week and someone we don't even know is noticing us just serving faithfully and quietly, whatever it might be, that's where we're called and our importance comes right back to Jesus no matter what. Too often we're thinking that leadership, that as we move up the ladder, maybe maybe you're just getting involved in the church and you're thinking, someday I'm going to be a leader and people are going to look up to me. How are you going to get there? Don't seek after titles. Don't seek after that at all. Seek after just doing what Jesus does, serving people, loving people. You may get the title, you may not. That's not our calling to seek after titles. Our calling is to be like Jesus. Notice again, Paul's letter to the Romans that we've been going through it just a little after these spiritual gifts. Here's the charge that Paul gives. Verse 9 of Romans 12. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is after he's distinguished that different people are gifted in different ways. He basically has the whole list again and charges the people to do it. Christian leadership looks like doing the things that God has charged us to do, doing the different things that God has gifted people to do, maybe not doing all of them completely. We're not meant to be one man or one woman bands in life, but being ready to serve, being ready to pray for people, being ready to hurt with people, being ready to love people in difficult times, being ready to forgive and to show hospitality, being excited for people when they succeed and we don't, being ready in the good times and the bad times. And not because we have a title, and not because people look up to us if we do have a title, not honoring the people that honor us, but honoring people because Jesus loves them. May we not be people who seek after the office and the import of it. I was reading about a man named Officer Colloran. Speaking of titles, he's a police officer. And he was called on a young man who was going door to door, seeking jobs, handy jobs around people's houses. He wanted to help them garden and so forth. And someone saw this young man, this teen, going through the neighborhood and thought, this young man must be here to cause trouble. And so they called the police on this man this young man. And so the police officer, Officer Colloran, arrived and and he he could have thought, well, I'm the high and mighty police officer to this young man's unimportant status in society and just said, what are you doing here? Get out of here or whatever. But what did he do? He he talked to the young man and he learned that the young man, yes, he indeed was going around trying to get work at people's houses. Why was he doing it? Well, for two reasons. One, he loves video games and he really wanted a PlayStation 5. He wanted to earn a PlayStation 5 by doing hard work. And then also his family didn't have enough clothes and he wanted to also help his brothers and sisters have some new clothing. That was what he was going to do. Well, Officer Colloran heard this and he happens to be an avid video gamer himself. And so he decided to go back and talk to his friends. Take a look at this video. about that for a moment. He was a police officer. He's entitled to 
to be the high and mighty one. But he saw this young boy. He thought about how much he loves playing video games and how this young boy was trying to help his family. And yes, he wanted a video game system, but he was trying to do good, hard, honest work for it. He decided to help him out by getting that video game system for him. And then some of his friends also pulled together and they got him a gift card so he could join an online gaming service. And, he, and Officer Colloran has, has challenged this young man to tournaments and video games in the near future. And I looked at this, and you look at this, this is not what this officer was obligated to do. It took prestige in some sense away from him by, by not being the high and mighty one. It took away financially from him as he helped contribute to buy this young man his video game system. But he saw someone and he realized this young man had a whole lot more in common with him, even though the one was an officer and the one wasn't. The one was older and more experienced and the one was younger. He just saw someone like himself and he sought to, to touch this young man and to help him. And, and you think about that. There's the picture of leadership. That's what we are all called to do. May we all see someone, even if they have nothing to give to us, even if they aren't important and we feel like they should see us as important, may we see ourselves as unimportant. May we set aside the importance of titles and, and, and how people respect us and may we instead simply see other people loved by Jesus and then love them ourselves. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, too often we seek after worldly honor. To after we seek after worldly importance. Would you help us instead to seek after you and your glory? To seek after your presence and to seek after your kingdom that more might enter into it. When we're in the position of authority, would you help us to see other people with love and care and not wonder what they have for us, what they can do for us, and if they respect us or not? When, when we're not in positions of authority and maybe we just kind of let our guard down and we're not trying to do anything because we don't even realize that we have an opportunity to lead, would you also help us to see those opportunities to lead others by simply living as an example of godliness? And as we choose leaders in our churches and in our cities and our states and our nations, would you help us to seek it after people who model that sort of servant leadership? and flee all who try instead to build themselves up. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. hope this has been an encouragement to you tonight. If it has, I would so appreciate it. Give it a like or a share. By doing that, you're, you, yeah, it makes me happy if you enjoyed it. But what's more important, let's not make it about that. What we're really trying to do is get more people to hear about who Jesus is. And I'm so appreciative as we walk alongside each other in doing that. Thank you for being a part of this each and every week. Next week, we're wrapping up this series and we're going to look at the gift of mercy and how we model that. I encourage you, please be back here at 7 p.m. next week for that. In the meantime, if there's any way I can be praying for you, if you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot a text to the text line on screen. Leave a comment in the comments below. It's so wonderful to hear from you, to pray with you. It's just truly a blessing to serve our God together. Hope you have a wonderful and blessed week. And I'll see you again next week.